Okay, everybody. We can take our seats, which pretty much everyone is doing. Good morning. Good morning. How's everyone this morning? Okay. Good. Glad to hear that. All right, well, if you open your Bibles this morning, we'll be in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, so we're definitely moving along with this book. Just about three quarters done, right? And we're going to begin a new section that's going to last about three chapters. So we're going to be today, we're going to do 1 Corinthians chapter 12, part 1, verses, the first 11 verses. So if you're there, why don't you join me as I open in a word of prayer, and then we will get started. So let's pray. Father, we come before you because we acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge, Lord God, before you that we need your help. We need your help in understanding your good and perfect word. And we know we have your spirit, the very spirit that gave us new life, and we are going to rely on him this morning. And we're going to even learn about that in the actual text, Lord, of how we always stand in need of your spirit, Father. So we pray that he would work, pray that he would give us the, the strength that we need to understand, Lord God, and that you would help us just to get out of the way, Lord God. I say that so much, Lord. The problem is never in you. It's always in us, Father. So we pray, Lord God, that your spirit would just be a strong, overriding influence in our lives right now as we get into your holy word. And the goal, Lord God, the ultimate goal, Lord, is that we would leave here differently, Father. More in tune with you, closer to you, more prepared of what you want us to do as we live this Christian life, Lord God, until you take us home. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start this morning by just asking you a question. What is the church? What is the church? Believers. Believers, right? Body of believers. So the church is the word ecclesia in the Bible, and it means an assembly of called out ones. That's what we are. We are an assembly of called out ones, the chosen ones of God. And its Old Testament equivalent is the word kahal, and it's used for the congregation of Israel. So the reason why I'm mentioning this this morning is if we look at these words in the scriptures, we're reminded that they speak of a particular people set apart by God. Hallelujah for that, right? That we are set apart by God, uniquely His people, right? Both in the typical sense in the Old Testament with the nation of Israel and the anti-typical sense, that is the real sense, the fullest sense with the New Testament for the church, right? And oftentimes, the church, you'll see a lot, is referred to as an organization, you know, and it, maybe in the legal sense, this may be true. There's certain legal things maybe that we have to do, uh, you know, to have an actual church. But the world does not define what the church is, God does. So the reality is that the church is not so much as an organization, though one sense that may be true, but is rather a living organism, right? A living organism. An organism is defined as follows. A complex structure of interdependent and subordinate elements whose relations and properties are largely determined by their function in the whole. And I think this is going to be very helpful for us in th this morning as we understand this. This makes sense certainly in light of the scriptures 
And especially in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Sean, would you like to read that? Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. All these verses will be on the papers in front of you. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Alright, so here it says that he put all things in subjection under his, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, under his feet. And he gave him, the Lord Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church, we are the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all, right? So the church is the body of Christ. And if we just take it in the physical sense, the body is consisted of what? Members, Members parts, right? And we know that what important organ is in the head? The brain. The brain, the brain is the one, nothing else would function if the brain wasn't there, right? So every part finds the source of their power in the head, and we know that in the church it is Christ who is the head. And we know that each part has a different function and is vital to the whole, right? So important, every part has their role, and the whole won't be what it could if the parts don't operate as they should. So this next section is important for us to understand because it has to do with these parts, right? These, these parts, these gifts that God has bestowed on His people. So these next three chapters gets into the proper use of spiritual gifts. Again, it's not exhaustive. This is not the only chapter where we're going to learn about spiritual gifts. There's other chapters, right? But the reason for this section is that the Corinthians as we've been seeing, we're abusing gifts in every way and holding to what we would call the extraordinary gifts, namely the gifts of tongues, which he's going to speak in a whole chapter on, right? As higher or maybe even more important than what we would call the ordinary gifts, right? But we need to be reminded that all the spiritual gifts, whether extraordinary or ordinary, are all supernaturally charged by the Holy Spirit. That means no one can operate in these gifts apart from the Spirit. As a matter of fact, even all of us here as believers, we have the Holy Spirit, right? But if the Holy Spirit did not give us a certain gift, then we cannot operate in it because He did not give us that particular gift. So the conclusion of that is then we can't help the fact that we all need each other because we are not gifted with the same things. So without God, there is no gifts and no carrying out of the gifts. And the way, and they were also leaning, the Corinthians, they were leaning way too much on emotion as a parameter in testing what comes from the Spirit, which couldn't be any further from the truth. If you understand the culture around them, they were very ecstatic and all these different things that they got. We're still seeing that in today's age, right? So the list of the types of spiritual gifts is not limited to one book of the Bible, as I mentioned before. Rather, we see lists of the different kinds of, uh, of gifts in several epistles, such as 1 Corinthians, what we're in, uh, in Romans, and also in Ephesians. If you want to take a look at those, there's more of them. And there's a lot of interlapping with these gifts, Okay. And the list given in all these books are never exhaustive. And because of that, 
it has led to some confusion in the church, both in understanding and in practice. And it certainly did with the people at Corinth, but really the main reason why is because they were extremely immature. We've already been seeing this with this church. They were an immature church. If you look at Scripture, we don't see much concerning the right application of spiritual gifts outside this epistle. And the reason for this, as always, is because of the context. So we need to be reminded again of the context of the church at Corinth, their setting where they lived. You know, the pagan world, we know, is sinful. And they cannot understand spiritual things in and of themselves because they're fleshly, right? But we have already been seeing that Corinth wasn't the norm in the pagan world. What have we learned so far concerning the Corinthians, the Corinth, the place of Corinth? What characterized them? Immaturity. Yeah. Okay, but that's the church, immaturity. But what char- let, let's remove yourself from the church for a moment. What characterized Corinth compared to the other pagan cities that were around? Sexual immorality. Immorality? All over, right? So the, Corinth, remember, there was a term, there was a term called to Corinthianize. That was a term that was, was, someone must have came up with it. And it had to do with essentially corrupting someone. Let's Corinthianize them. Let's make them totally depraved. They're already totally depraved. But do you understand what I'm saying? It was like a slang term given to someone that was around them. So the lifestyle brought into that lifestyle of Corinth, which was exceptionally bad. Okay, kind of like, you know, we, we know, we know the world is lost, right? But certain areas we see sin and depravity elevated. You go to Vegas. What, stays in, what happens in Vegas, they say, stays in Vegas, right? It's known for its depravity. So same thing, kind of like that, is with Corinth. And yet, God saved people from that place. Praise God, right? So, this lifestyle that was typical of a Corinthian person was brought into the church, unfortunately, and it was bringing a lot of confusion. And the reality is that what comes from God should not be confusing at all, right? It comes from a perfectly logical God who brings peace and order and not confusion to his people. So what I would like to do this morning is give you four we must statements to help guide us in this first lesson, as we begin our journey on the subject of spiritual gifts, which is going to last really three chapters, okay? And hopefully, you guys will understand. I trust that God will do what God, only God can do, all right? So, number one, the first of these we must statements is going to be is that we must know the subject of spiritual gifts. Secondly, we must identify the source of spiritual gifts. Thirdly, we must understand the specifics of spiritual gifts. And then fourthly, we must understand that no one should ever think they are superior over another because of their spiritual gifts. Alright? So let's look at the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. And the Word of God says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware... You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. 
And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Alright, so let's look first at number one, the first we must, and that is, we must know the subject of spiritual gifts. Verses 1 to 3. And verse 1 says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. So, now concerning, or maybe some of your versions might say now about, implies a logical transition into another topic, and it gives weight to the fact that he is continuing to answer questions that were written in a letter to them, so by the Corinthians, right? So he's, he's addressing the questions that they brought up. He wants them to have understanding. And I always want to put emphasis, anytime I see the word brethren in Scripture, especially with this church, because he's going out of his way all the time, and he's affirming them in spite of their immaturity and dysfunction, he's still affirming them that as God's people. He is brethren. They're believers, right? So I always want to put emphasis on that. And the first thing that he says is that he doesn't want them to be unaware. Unaware is a Greek word, agnoeo. Have you heard of an agnostic? You have atheists that say they believe in no God. The agnostic says, I don't know. Right? They're without understanding. So agnoeo simply means to not know, or really, even better put, to fail to understand. So I think this is important because every time the topic of spiritual gifts comes up, oftentimes amongst believers, and especially the extraordinary ones, many Christians do not want to talk about it. Why don't they want to talk about it? It brings what? Strife. Strife. Or sometimes it brings division, right? It doesn't, you know, oftentimes people argue because some churches believe some way and other churches believe another way. And they don't want to bring it up. Sometimes they don't even want to get into it themselves because it causes division and disunity. And that may be true, okay? But it doesn't get us off the hook in our trying to understand it. It's part of God's Word. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here. I do not want you to be unaware. He wants us to have understanding of the very things that come from God through His Spirit. So more so, Paul is completely telling us that he wants us to know them rightly. <coughs> and if Paul wants us to know them rightly, that means that God wants to know us to know them rightly because Paul is a mouthpiece for God right now to these people. The word for unaware is an active verb. 
So he doesn't want us to be in active pursuit of not caring about these things, but rather he wants us to be in active pursuit in understanding him in every possible way because it's of God, right? So we want to understand everything that is of God. So subpoint A, we can conclude that awareness <coughs> means importance. This is important, right? Then verse 2 says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So now Paul says, one thing for sure is that you know that I know that all of you know what your old self was like before you became a Christian. You knew exactly the type of life that you lived. Led astray, it's the Greek words ago and apago. And these two verbs are passive verbs. And it means that they were being led by the corruption of their own what? Hmm? Their own hearts, their own flesh, which craved nothing other than sin. Okay, their flesh was a master over them. And this was descriptive of them as well as the second verb as a participle. In other words, this was descriptive of them in their old nature. They were very familiar to this. But he's writing to people who have a new nature. Right? He is reminding them of this so that you can see just how crazy and futile their old, li their old lives were. And that they need to get unfamiliar with these things now that you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So, so much that they believed and talked to non-living pieces of material and served them as gods. This is what you were. You're not that anymore. So, sub-point B, remember, he says, remember when you were unaware. Same thing for us as Christians. It's always good for us to remember what God delivered us from. Right? And... Not so that we can dwell there, because we never want to dwell in the past. But we want, we want to remember just how far our good and gracious King has delivered us from the destruction of our flesh and where it would lead us to go. Then in verse 3 he says, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and... <clears throat> And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So subpoint C, the first and most important test to see whether something is of God is what they say concerning the eternal Son of God who is Jesus Christ. Right? That's the first test. And you almost wonder, you know, why is he even saying this? Why is he saying to the church... No one would say Jesus is accursed. You know, many commentators believe that some Corinthians in their ecstatic emotional state may have blurted out this somehow when they were in this crazy frenzy. They blurted out blasphemous things concerning the Son, thinking that it was of the Spirit. Now, that's certainly not hard to believe, especially when we start getting into chapter 14, and especially seeing what they, we've been seeing in this church to begin with. So whether or not that's true or not, you know, something to think about. But on the other hand, no one would even be able to call Christ Lord, except the Holy Spirit did the work of regeneration. Right? So he's saying the first and foremost important test that something is of God is what are you saying concerning Jesus? 
The Spirit is always going to elevate Christ. Not Himself. He's going to elevate Christ. So some verses here. 1 John 4, verses 1 to 4. And this is important just as we're, tra- we're trying to study spiritual gifts to, uh, to, to, to be discerning, right? It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. There's so much right in that statement. It says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not, I'm sorry, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children. And I've overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And this, church, I believe is important for us as we look at the scriptures concerning this, as understanding that we have an amazing God in us and wants us to have understanding, and we can have understanding in his power. And we need to take comfort and believe in the power of God inside us and lean on him for our understanding. So we must know the subject of spiritual gifts. We do not get off the hook and not trying to understand it, even if it's hard, right? We must know the subject of spiritual gifts because it has to do with serving the very Lord who gave them, right? Then, number two. Number two, we must identify the source of spiritual gifts. Verse four to six. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So the first thing, we know the answer to this question, which is very obvious, is the source of spiritual gifts is the triune God. Right? The God of all creation. Now, in one sense, we can say that the source of spiritual gifts is the Holy Spirit. And that certainly is true. We're talking about spiritual gifts. But in the fullest sense, it is the whole Godhead. And understanding the connection of how the Godhead, uh, the connection of the Godhead to spiritual gifts will help us know how all the gifts connect and interdepend on each other. Question 7 of the Baptist Catechism says this. What is God? That's the question. What is God? And the answer is, God is a spirit. He does not have a body like mankind, right? He's not like you and us. He's a spirit being. So God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And this is important because anything that comes from God will have these qualities. Right? John 4.24 reminds us that God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is important because fleshly people worship 
according to the foolishness of their flesh. We just saw this in verse 2. Remember when you were pagans, when you believed in idols and you worshipped them, right? They are inventors of evil things. There is no limit to how ridiculous and how foolish mankind's ideologies can be. We're seeing it in our world right now. There's some ridiculous things that mankind comes up with, right? Because they are inventors of evil things because it stems from a totally fallen, depraved nature. So we must worship Him, not in a fleshly state, because we still have a flesh and it's sinful. But we must worship Him in spirit and truth. And if we do this, church, we will not miss Him in all the details of life. And we'll acknowledge Him and be thankful for the good things He has given us. James 1.17. Dom, read that. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down to the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or, shadow, uh, or shifting shadow. Alright, so every good thing given comes from a good and perfect and holy God. If it comes from God, it's going to be good in every way. It'll be wholesome, it'll be holy, most importantly, it will always bring honor to Him. Psalm 147.5. Izzy, you want to read that? Every good thing you win. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. So if God is great, and He is, and His understanding infinite, what He supplies and how He does it will also, I believe, be understandable to God's people. Right? In other words, it's not going to bring confusion to God's people if it truly comes from God. God's people have His Spirit. You know? 1 Corinthians 14.33, the first part says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Subpoint B, in our identifying of the source we will see very clearly the oneness, unity, and harmony of God. If you look at this, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So, though God, we know, is three in one, each person of the Trinity has a different role, a different function within the Godhead, right? We know that the Father chooses, the Father calls. We know that the Son listens to the Father. He speaks, He saves, He redeems. We know that the Spirit listens to both. He gives new life and applies Christ to our lives. They each have a different role and they are one. They are perfectly unified. Secondly, though, we are many in one body, each person in God's church, has a different role in the same way. The word for gifts is the word charisma, and it implies something that is freely given to us. So just like salvation is a gift, so are the spiritual enablements that the Lord gives us for His service. And it's not to be confused, this happens all the time, spiritual gifts are not to be confused with what? Talents. 
This happens so often. You know, we have talent. There's many talented people. Guess what? There's many talented people who are going to die and be eternally separated from God. Right? Those, those things are for both a believer and unbeliever alike. You know, there, there's a lot of things now. Should, should we use our gifts and talents for the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely we should do that. Okay? But we need to make a distinction between... Listen, there's been people that said, my spiritual gift is dancing. Oh boy. No, sorry. No such thing. Not in Scripture. Okay? Should you, can you do that for the glory of the Lord? Absolutely. Anything that we have, we should do it for the glory of the Lord. Okay? But there is a difference between spiritual gifts and talents. The word for ministries is diaconia in these verses, and it means service. So I love this. So God freely gifts His people... The way that he chooses, for what purpose? Service. For service. That means a spiritual gift is not for you. At least not fully. But more importantly, that is for the body. 1 Peter 4.10. Gigi, you want to read that? 1 Peter 4.10? As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. You know what I love about verse 10? Is right in the beginning, what does it say? Does anyone not have anything from the Spirit? No one is left out, right? Each one has received a special gift. What does God call us to do? Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We do it to serve the Lord, but we don't serve the Lord apart from serving each other for the glory of the Lord. So gifts are always for service, and it should always bring edification. In other words, it should build one another, build one another up in the most holy faith. Ephesians 4.29. Audrey, you want to read that? Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Just because we're talking about edification, I, didn't, I thought this would be a very good fitting verse. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. If you guys, you know, we, we live in this world, right? If you have a job like me where there is no, there is no, what's the word? There's no uh, filter, let's just say. And the people, when you're in construction, it's a lot of jobs that are like that, right? There's certainly nothing wholesome that's coming out of the mouth. But guess what? We are to be different than that. And we can take those things and we can let that carry over when we're together amongst the body of believers. As believers, nothing unwholesome should come out of our mouths. Everything that we do and say should be to bring up one another, to look more and more like Jesus, right? The word for effects in this passage, energema, means energized. And so just as God provides the gifts, He also provides the ability or energy to work out those gifts. So can we boast in anything? There is no boast except in the Lord. So He gives gifts to all His people. Those gifts are for serving, right? And He gives us the ability or energy to work out those gifts. That means we cannot work out those gifts if we are operating in the flesh. So we cannot operate our spiritual gifts in the flesh 
but must walk by the Spirit. So Galatians 5, verses 16 and 17. Hmm, EJ. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. All right. You know, I love the quote, this verse, because I have to remind myself all the time when Mike wants to operate in his own power. Okay? As believers, as those who have been given salvation, who have the Holy Spirit, who have spiritual gifts, we will not carry out those gifts if we walk in our flesh. It will always be failure. It will not happen. Right? So if these gifts are operated correctly, there will indeed be a perfect effect or outcome that is in line with God's will if they are operated correctly because it's the Spirit that's doing it. It's God that is doing it and God does not fail. God is perfect. So there are many gifts, but the same Spirit gives it. All gifts are for the purpose of serving Christ and that is seen in God's people serving each other so that they can be built up to look more and more like Christ. And it's God the Father who chooses how they will work out and how it benefits His kingdom. And if you understand that, if we understand that, think of how much stress this eliminates if we allow it to. We can get stressed out a lot, I think, with serving the Lord or any of these type of things. But when we understand it like that, there is so much stress that is eliminated. God chooses the outcome... And whatever that is, it's going to be perfect. That's what He wants. And how often do we stress ourselves out because we want to see a certain result when all God requires from us is to be faithful. Just be faithful and let the results be in God's hands. And embrace it and accept it. And if we are faithful, we must embrace it even if we don't understand it, right? Even if we don't understand it. All right, number three. We must understand the specifics of spiritual gifts. So now we're going to be giving a list of some gifts. Again, there's more. It's not all the gifts of the Spirit, but a list of some. So it would be foolish for me not to at least go over them so that we can understand them. This is Sunday school. We're in the Word of God. So I'm not just going to assume that every one of us here knows it. And some of them, believe it or not, can still be a little bit... People can have a difference of opinion. Okay? So in this next text, nine gifts are mentioned in verses 7 to 10. Let me just read that again real quick. It says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So again, before we get into this, I want us to just notice something that is very important in the beginning of verse 7. And that is, every believer, again, 
has a supernatural equipping from the Spirit. Every one of us. So we should be encouraged. We can't think, well, what can I do? What do I have? What is my purpose? Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a supernatural equipping from God through the Spirit. It's very important for us to understand that. So the first thing that is mentioned here is the word of wisdom. And the first thing that I want to mention is that at this church, here at Bible Baptist Church, we believe that some of the gifts are not for today. That is what we preach. We're pretty unified in that, right? And that some of them have ceased when the apostles died and the New Testament was complete. So we don't believe that every gift in the Bible is so much for today, but had their purpose, right? And this sometimes is a difficult, this is a sometimes difficult task is, is the difficult task is identifying which one of those are like that. So some Christians with the same persuasion may have a different take on which one of these gifts are still in effect. And someone put these first two mentioned as in the category as they're not for today, but I do not believe that. I believe the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is still for today, so let's look at what it means. The word of wisdom is essentially what it says. What does it say? Word of wisdom. And it's the ability to rightly apply God's truth and make it relevant for day or in any context. So you can just imagine real quick of how important this is for the church to be able to know how to apply the truth of God's word. Right? So word of wisdom is a supernatural ability that God has given that we are all called to be wise. Right? And respond to God's knowledge and wisdom. There are some people that just have an uncanny ability because of the Spirit's power to operate in this gift. And just think of how important this is for the church because if gifts are not for you but to bring edification to the body, well, guess what? The body needs to know how to apply the truth of God's Word. So when someone has this gift... It is a tremendous blessing for the church because they know how to give a word of wisdom and then if they're going to be obedient, they're going to give that word of wisdom and that's going to help the body of Christ. Amen? So this is so important. This is still for today. The next one, and the reason why some think this is different is because some will say, let me give you a word of wisdom and it has nothing to do with the Bible. It's something that is not in Scripture, if anything, might even be added or just doesn't does even mesh with Scripture. And that would be not the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is simply rightly applying God's word. And someone has the ability to do that really amazingly. Next is going to be the word of knowledge. Now this is similar and oftentimes given to the same person. Okay, Knowledge, we know, precedes wisdom. Right? Knowledge precedes wisdom because wisdom is rightly applying knowledge. But one may just have this gift and not the other. It's possible, right? God gives some people the ability to really grasp God's word. And that's what it's talking about here. The ability to grasp God's word. They have great understanding. And this also implies that he gives them the ability to labor in it. In other words, you can't have a word of knowledge which has to do with God's Word, without getting into God's Word and maybe getting into it in a way that is 
way more intense than maybe the average Christian would be able to do it, right? So what comes with this gift is the ability to labor in God's Word, but not just labor in God's Word, to understand it and get it, right? So, word of knowledge and word of wisdom. The next one is going to be faith. Now this might be confusing to some, because are we not all children of faith? Do we not all walk and stand in faith? So what does it mean to have the gift of faith? Well, again, I don't think this is really too difficult to understand. All we got to do, we have a church here. We know each other, right? Some people clearly have extraordinary faith, and it's contagious sometimes, and we need that, and we need to be encouraged by that, right? Just like some Christians struggle with doubt, maybe more than others, so it is with faith. Some people are just extremely strong in faith. Faith, what is faith? It's trust and dependence on God in all things. Now we know we all do that as believers. We do that for our salvation. We're relying nothing else but Him and His finished work on the cross. Right? But those with this gift are incredibly strong in difficult situations because of this wonderful gift of faith. So think when someone is struggling that does not have this gift how much they need that brother or sister that has been equipped with this great gift of faith to come alongside them and help them in their journey. Right? Notice the interdependency again of these gifts. And if this gift is used properly, like all of them, it will certainly bring encouragement and edification to others. Right? And that is the whole purpose of these gifts. The next one is going to be gift of healing, gifts of healing. It really should be properly understood. Some of your versions might say it, but it's plural. It's gifts of healings, and it's actually very important. And this is one of those extraordinary gifts that I believe are not for today. That doesn't mean that we believe that God doesn't heal. Understand that. We know God heals. We experience His healing. Okay? So we believe that this is one of those extraordinary gifts that, I, that are not for today. And even in biblical times, with the apostles, this gift was not normative. It's not, this was not something that happened constantly all the time. We know that Paul, we know that the apostles, and oftentimes their companions struggled with sickness, with disease, right? And they didn't just heal it immediately at any time they wanted to. That's not how it worked. So again, I said that properly translated, it should read gifts of healings. And this is important in us correctly understanding this because gifts of healings implies supernatural enablements of the Spirit on God-ordained occasions. In other words, it wasn't all the time, but it was occasional for the purpose of authenticating the message or the messenger. That was the purpose of these gifts. If anyone says you might have had to have, to have the gift of healing, then we need to understand, even in biblical times, there is no gift of healing ever mentioned once in Scripture. You will not find it in one spot. There is no gift of healing. Okay? All we have is gifts of healings, plural. And again, they were not normative. It would happen on occasion. Okay? We do not believe that this gift is for today because there's no more reason to authenticate a person like the apostles as they were carrying about the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
The Word of God is complete. We know that there's churches that disagree. I know there's some in this church that still disagree. And that's fine. We can agree to disagree. Okay? But this is what I believe the Scripture teaches. Next one is going to be the effecting of miracles. Again, a miracle. We often say God does miracles all the time. We use that in our speech. Right? And... Yes, God is a God who does miracles. But so many times we call something a miracle that is not a miracle. And that's okay. If it's not a miracle, it doesn't mean it's not lo- no longer good or of God. Right? So let's just look at this for a second. A miracle is something that completely defies the natural order of things. Something that is impossible in the natural world. The raising of the dead. Making the blind see. The lame walk, splitting the sea, etc. Those things that are absolutely impossible apart from divine intervention. Right? That is what a miracle is. And just like the gifts of healings, the words are plural also in this one. Implying things that happened on occasions. Things again that were not normative. No, this, the, the apostles did not do this all the time. Okay? It happened on occasions. Again, to authenticate the message and the messenger. Yes. Okay. You got a little more time. I'm going to finish. All right? We're almost done. So let me just ask you a question. If God doesn't do a miracle, is He any less God or any less awesome or any less glorious? No. He's not. Right? Well, can God do good things without doing miracles? He heals. That's not a miracle. It means he healed. Okay? It's not something that defies nature. We often use that. I don't even know if God does miracles at all anymore. Can he? I'm not going to sit there and say he doesn't. All I'm saying is I think we're too quick to say those words and they don't mean what they mean. You know? So a miracle is that, again, do not believe that this gift is for today. Then the next one is prophecy. Prophecy means forthtelling. That is what it means in its fullest sense. Even in the Old Testament when there was prediction, okay? In its sense, in its normative meaning, it means forthtelling. Essentially, it just means speaking the word of God in its fullest sense. And not just speaking, but speaking effectively, right? Every pastor or teacher of God's word has some measure of this gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.3 but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. That is the perfect. It's God's word. That's all God's word really can do. So God's word brings edification and exhortation and consolation. Then we have the distinguishing of spirits. This is very similar to the gift of discernment. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. To see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I didn't realize we were going to go this long. So the person with this gift has an uncanny ability to recognize what is true or what is a lie. Right? What is of God and what is not of God. It's the gift of discernment, essentially. And this gift is especially important for our generation because so much of the world has crept into the church and perhaps we see this more than anything in the biblical counseling movement. The biblical counseling movement has become so clinical and they just add a Bible verse to something 
And they call it biblical counseling, and it can't be any further from the truth. This is why it's important that this gift is in effect, especially for those who minister and, and do that and be able to minister to people, like, especially Lenny does that. Lenny's the one, when it comes to things like that, usually that's his wheelhouse, right? This is extremely important for being able to counsel each other to have this gift. Um, there's some verse there that had to go along with this, but I'm not going to do that. So the various kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues, I'm purposely not going to get into that because we're going to get into it in chapter 14. But I just want to go right through that last one. I think I can get it in real quick. Number four is that we must understand that no one should ever think they are superior over another because of their gifts. Right? But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Why can't we do this? Because it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the God who gave it to us. We have nothing to do with what gifts that we have. So how can we think that we are more superior than another person because of what we have? We are all vessels for His use, right? And God requires us to be faithful to what He has given us. Alright? So let me just close with reading this one passage and then we will leave to get into church. Ephesians 4, 11-16. Which is a more list of some more gifts. It says, And He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So again, brothers and sisters, let us no longer be babes in Christ, but move on to maturity. Focus on your gifts and not another's. And I said this all the time, especially to you young ones that are here. No matter what age you are, this is for all of us. No matter what age you are, you have a great opportunity before you. You have an opportunity to be the more mature Christian in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. doesn't make a difference if you are in 8th grade like Olivia or wherever the oldest person is in this church. Okay, We have an opportunity to be the better Christian, the more mature Christian, which is only going to be a benefit to other brother, our other brothers and sisters. Amen? Sorry, I went a little long today. I rushed that ending part. So let's pray and get into church. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I trust, Lord, that you'll honor your word. And whatever I could not effectively communicate, I'm just going to trust that you will do your job. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.